The Dead Church, next on The Balanced Word. Wake up my soul, wake up early in the day, wake up my hand, and the instrument I play, wake up my voice, let the world hear me say, you are worshipped and exalted here today. If the Lord were to write a letter to you, what do you suppose he would say? Would he describe your condition in terms of death or life? Would he have good things to say or not so much? Join us for a study in Revelation 3 today on The Balanced Word as Pastor Dave Roth has a look at what Jesus has to say to the church in Sardis. There's no mystery at all about the Lord's displeasure with the things going on in this church. They were dead. So it will serve us well to pay heed to the Lord's words as we certainly don't want this to happen to us. Good to be with you as we continue in our study here in the book of Revelation, the letters that Jesus sent to these churches. There were seven churches in Asia Minor, in what we would call Turkey. And these, this was the last thing Jesus said to any church from when he rose from the dead. He did this in the 90s AD. Really doesn't, we don't hear anything else from him until uh, what he has to say when he comes back. So these letters are really interesting and important. If you've been with us, you know that there were seven churches that were in a line that starting at the southwest corner of Turkey in Ephesus, right there where the Mediterranean Sea and the Aegean Sea meet, and then you had, you go up north about 50 miles to Smyrna, you go up another 50 to Pergamos, then last week we saw where you go inland, east, about 50 miles and to Thyatira. Now they turn, the direction goes south as they're continuing, they're going to finish this loop as he goes down to Sardis and then to Philadelphia and, and finally to Laodicea. So it's a big loop of churches. The book of Revelation is going to go to all of them, but Jesus wrote special notes to each of them to really personalize this encountered that they were having with the risen Lord. And so Sardis is an interesting one. It's kind of, I call it the zombie church. Imagine getting a letter from Jesus saying, yeah, you guys are dead. You just don't know it yet. You're still moving around. You're still doing what you do, but you're dead as far as I'm concerned. So obviously I'm sure that was hard for them. Sardis is an interesting city. It has a great history um, it, you can still find it today on Apple Maps. It's called SART today, S-A-R-T. So if you go SART Turkey, you'll see right where it is. It, it is on a hillside overlooking the Hormuz River Valley. It's a beautiful area in central Turkey. Um, the city was notable because they built it up on top of a plateau where it was easy to defend it. There were sheer cliffs on all sides. The only way you could get into the city was they had a secret pathway that would lead up to the city. So it made it easy to defend. All you have to do is defend that pathway and you defend the city. The earliest thing, things we know of Sardis goes back to the 1600s, maybe a little bit older than that, where it was a Hittite city. The, the Hittites were one of the Canaanite civilizations that spread around and worked their way down. Now, we know that historically as the 
Persian kingdom was kind of taking over everything. The Persian kingdom had, you know, in the 6th century BC, had given, Cyrus had given permission to Ezra and Nehemiah Zerubbabel to go back to Israel from the Babylonian captivity, begin to rebuild Jerusalem. About that same time, Cyrus heads over into Turkey and he comes to this city of Sardis, decided to conquer it while he was in the neighborhood. So he, they, they looked at it and they're like, wow, how do we get into this place? One of his soldiers, supposedly, saw a guy up on the wall, one of the guards of the fort, that dropped his helmet. And it went boom, 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 down. And so they go, what? Let's see where he goes. The guy comes out, and they see right where the secret pathway is while he comes down and gets his helmet and then carries it back up. So they just thought, let's take an army up that path at night, and we're probably going to meet opposition right in that one area. But, well... As Cyrus's guys headed up the path, they didn't get any opposition. When they got up on to the to the gate of the wall, the guards were asleep, so they took over very easily. And the city was kind of insulted ever since. People loved to laugh about that 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 their their kingdom fell because of guards that were falling asleep. And Jesus kind of references a little bit in here as well. Well. So then it went on. Later on, ironically, you know, around the second century BC, um, the uh, Antiochus Epiphanes came as, as one of the final Greek leaders before the Romans took everything over. And he conquered the city the same way. Goes up there, guards are asleep, and he conquers it. So, but the city was very wealthy. They were luxurious, luxurious to the point of fault almost. You know, they had a reputation of being spoiled and lazy and you know, they sat on their laurels because of, they lived in such a secure place. It was a big financial center of Asia Minor for hundreds of years. In fact, it, they really invented money as we know it. The, the oldest coins that anyone has found were from Sardis. So it was, they had a great history now, later on, the city, you know, fell under the Romans. It became kind of devastated by about five or 600 AD. All that's left, and to this day, really, all that's left in Sardis is archaeological digs and then a small village of a few people. But they had their big day, and then things began to go downhill, and everybody said it was because they were rich and spoiled and they were lazy. And so that's kind of the city. Now let's see what Jesus says to the church that's there. Revelation chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. To the angel or the messenger, probably the pastor of the church in Sardis, I'm writing this to you. These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Back in chapter 1, the glorified Christ is visualized with several graphic images and in each of these letters he'll use one or more of them to identify himself as the glorified Christ. So the seven spirits of God probably a reference to the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's a little weird but that's the best that's the best suggestion I've ever heard. Seven is a number of completion and so the Holy Spirit is you know completely the spirit and then the seven stars are the churches that Jesus is moving among them. So it's just an identification, no need to 
waste a lot of time laboring on that. But look what he says to them. I know your works. You're Aragon. I see what you're doing. That's what he says to all the churches. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive. So he's like, I hear about you. I know your reputation. People have said good things about you. And they're like, oh, nice. I mean, how would that make you feel if somebody goes, oh, hey, we've never met, but man, I've heard great things about you. So that's kind of what Jesus is saying to the church. But just this one thing, you're dead. <laughs> you're zombies. You are, you know, people think you're alive. In fact, you think you're alive. But in reality, what you are is nothing like what life actually resembles. You are on your last legs. You, many of you are still alive, but you're on life support. You think you're alive because the little meter is still beeping in the hospital, but that's not really, you know, life to an extent. So the church, the people who were there, the Christians, the city, it's like, yeah, I hear good things. They even have some great history, but the problem is they're dead. That's, you know, I'm sure that was offensive to them, but now he begins to tell them, if you don't want to stay dead, here's what you need to do. If you want to progress beyond where you are right now, here's, here are some thoughts. First of all, in verse 2, be watchful. That word watchful literally means to stay awake. But when somebody was on guard, and this is probably a slam on their history in Sardis where you know, they were known for the place that the guards would fall asleep. So he says, in the same way, your relationship with God, your very existence as you know, people who are connected to him hinges on whether or not you are willing to stay awake and pay attention. And so this church needed to be shook up. Now telling them that they are dead, telling them that they're like weekend at Bernie's where it's like you're acting like you're alive, but you're really not, or like Washington, D.C., but he's like, first of all, wake up. Pay attention. Now, we all know times in our lives when we just kind of doze off. We just kind of aren't really thinking actively. We're just kind of coasting. I know for me, and maybe it probably happens sometimes more third service, people are just tired. And so they're sitting there and I can see people who I know they don't understand a word I'm saying but they're just fighting to stay awake and I sometimes have people meet me at the back door and they say they come up and go I feel so bad that I was falling asleep in church and I'm like no I'm ha if I can give you a nap I'm happy you obviously needed it I'm never offended if people fall asleep it's fine but at the same time there are people who live their whole lives in a daze, in a haze. By the way, everything that he's applying to churches applies to relationships, friendships, uh, other things in our lives as well. It's like, first of all, you need to wake up. You need to go, look, pay attention here. I need your full attention. And so he's telling them that, hey, wake up and be alert. Starts there. But then he says and strengthen the things which remain. There's still signs of life, but you need to strengthen them. Now, the word there for strengthen is a word that refers to the idea of balancing things out. It's 
you know, you strengthen them by stabilizing them. So the way you do that when things are off balance, you figure out where they're off balance and you try to create a sense of normalcy by, you know, and our lives are that way, churches are that way sometimes too, where it's like all of a sudden things are out of balance. Like all you're doing is pushing that or all you're doing is living. And then we go, and I know when I get tired, my life, it's easy to get my life out of balance because there are plenty of times when, and I'll, I can kind of judge how balanced my life is based on how many Dodger games I've watched. Because <laughs> it's like so easy when I'm just like, ugh, turn on the Dodgers. And turning on the Angels gives me a different reaction. And it's just like, ugh. With the Dodgers, it's like, yeah, you know, I don't want to go to bed now because I know they're going to come back. They're going to win this game and it's going to be fine. But other people waste time on Netflix, watching movies, doing other things that are nonsensical. What we do is we feel like we have to fill in the time, but at the same time, we don't have the energy to actually fill it in with something meaningful, so we have our default position. Like, when I'm like in a daze, here's what I do to kill time. Here's how I put myself you know, out of the misery of going, oh, something's missing. And so, what Jesus is saying to this church is, if you want to be stable, then that happens because you wake up, pay attention, and then you arrange the things in your life so that there's a balance, so that then you're able to live your life and make the best decisions and live the best life that you can live. This is something that we should all consider regularly. We should always look at my life and, and say, okay, if I want to know how my life is balanced, just look at what you spend money on, what you spend time on, and what you worry about. And combined, those will show what matters the most. Well, if you look at that total and you go, that's not really what I think is most important, then there's a shuffling that's in order. There's, there needs to be a reassessment and saying, okay, I think I'm gonna make some shifts so that what my life is valuing is actually what I value, not just doing the default because it's the easiest. It's kind of like, you know, you have different people in your life who play different roles. And, you know, you don't want to live your life and who do you hang out with? Well, just whoever's left. <laughs> you know, I don't know, whatever happens to be there. What are you going to do? I don't know. Just the first thing I think of. Where intentionally, if we look at our lives and realize, Life is really important. See, one of the things that makes you dead, like Sardis, is when all of a sudden life doesn't really matter that much to you in the first place. It doesn't feel like a gift. It just feels like something we talk about killing time, which kills us. So Jesus is saying, if you want to gain life back, then you need to start by saying, wake up. And now begin to stabilize, begin to balance, look for what you really value and what's really important to you and give some attention to those things. So he says, uh, and again, it's the things which remain, whatever lasts, do that, and they're ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. He's not saying that they aren't perfect, but the, that word in the Greek for perfect is plerao. It's a word that means 
the total package, the whole thing. It's the same word in Colossians chapter 2 when Paul's talking about Jesus being God and he says, in him, Colossians 2, 8, 9, in him dwells all the plerao, all the fullness of the Godhead in a bodily form and in him you are made plerao, you are made complete. So he's saying there's something missing in your life and you want to figure out what that is because your life can be infinitely more valuable, more vital. Life will be much better for you when you are using your energy in things that really make you the best version of you that you can be. You are maximizing your gifts and, and your potentials. And so he said, you know, and remember in verse 3, now it's a time to think back. Because if I look at my life and I go, how in the world did I get where I am? Well, there's a simple way to figure out how you got where you are. Use your memory. Look back and say, when it wasn't like this, when I was energized, when I was excited, when I had a sense of vision and calling and a sense of joy and meaning and fulfillment in my life, how did that go? And so he says, guys, go back in your memory banks and remember how you have received and heard. That word receive is a word, um, it, it, when we think of receive, we think of something just gives it to you and you just take it. But the word here in the Greek, lambano, is a word that means to grab a hold of. And so what he's, what he's saying is, I want you to think back, what was it that energized you so much that you had to grab it? that you really went for it, that you would have in that moment done almost anything or traded almost anything for it. And I think for all of us, thinking back in our lives and saying, okay, was there a time in my history when I decided, like the old song says, I decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Why did you do that? Well, you were raised that way. That's not good enough to make that define your life. Or I was going through a really hard time. No, what was it about walking with Jesus that looked like, I want to go after that, that motivates me? And again, it's the same way in relationships with people. A key to a relationship with a person is to never lose sight of what is it that drew me to this person in the first place? What is it that caused me to go, okay, I'm all in on this? Well, in the same way with our relationship with Jesus, if we forget why we did it in the first place, then we lose our, our sense of, of priorities. We don't know how then to balance the load at all either. Uh, you know, memory, remembering is good if you remember it in the context of today. Sometimes memories can be bad. If you, there are some people who just like, oh, the good old days, it was so great. You distort it, you make it something that was better than what it really was. You really exclude yourself from it and you get nostalgic. Jesus isn't saying, you guys need to return to the way Christianity was in the 40s, you know, AD. No, it's like, no, what was it that you grabbed for? What was it that you said, I need that? And it certainly wasn't, you know, there are all kinds of, accoutrements around like you can when we think back on our lives there might be a song that was really meaningful to you at the time and now it's not meaningful to you anymore it there are a lot of these things that are fleeting what I mean I was mentioning this morning the 
there was a song called MacArthur Park that was beautiful. I loved the song. And it had such brilliant lyrics as, someone left the cake out in the rain. I don't think I can take it, because it took so long to bake it. And I'll never have that recipe again. And I'm like, wow. That just moved me. You can't, you can't totally appreciate it without drugs, but it was, you know, it was like, what, what was it about that that actually drew me? What was it that made the difference? Why it was, it's not the magic of the music. And the same thing in church. I, I love older music, I love newer music, but you can't look at it and go, well, that music was special and this music isn't. No, if that music was special, what made it special? When, when I think of my walk with the Lord and when I became a Christian, it's like, I wanted to be in church. I wanted to be around people. I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to memorize it. I wanted to pray. All of those things were, it wasn't all the peripheral stuff. It was at the core. And so Jesus is saying, I want you in a healthy way to remember what was going on. Remember why you grabbed it, why you really wanted that. Thanks for joining us today for The Balanced Word with our pastor and Bible teacher, Dave Roth. We're developing a series on the seven churches of Revelation. And stay with us for more teaching from Pastor Dave. These programs are available by podcast at thebalancedword.com. You can also call us and request a CD copy at 949-362-7475. We'd also like to offer you Pastor Dave's Through the Bible in a Year series on a USB thumb drive for a gift of $25 or more. Go Through the Bible in a Year with Dave by ordering this special series today. Again, call 949-362-7475 or go to thebalancedword.com. Your gifts help to make these shows possible on stations like this one all across the nation. Thank you for standing with us with either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support. Donations can be made at thebalancedword.com. Have you had a chance to listen to Pastor Dave's one-minute messages? You can listen to those at thebalancedword.com and even join our mailing list so you can have them delivered to you each day. You can also watch them on Instagram or Facebook by following CC Pacific Hills. We'd love for you to join us at Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Our service times on Sunday morning are at 8, 9.45, and 11.30. Directions and more information about the church can be found online at ccpacifichills.org. And you can watch our live stream there too, ccpacifichills.org. Can we pray for you? Just contact us through thebalancedword.com and leave a prayer request. Or again, call 949-362-7475. We'll leave you now with this from Pastor Dave. And then he says to hold fast um, and repent. Hold fast means guard it. Once you figure out what matters, what's valuable, once you get your values a little clarified, now you need to protect that. That's what, that's what that word means. It's set a guard and don't let it get away. Don't have this moment of, of introspection and go, wow, that's really true. Okay, moving on. <laughs> he goes, no, make that something that you hang on to and repent. That word is used so much in the scriptures and most people don't understand what it means. And it, the word repent, metanoia in the Greek, means think again, think differently, continue to think about what's going on. Because as we look at our past, 
and we look at our lives, we look at what our life has become. You know, at some point you go, there's nothing here. There are people who just decide life isn't worth living. Or they just decide, I'm just hanging in here and I'm going to survive. And you spend enough energy on things that don't matter and your life becomes pretty meaningless. It's simple mathematics. And you have Johnny Cash sang that song by Trent Reznor, um, Hurt. And, and it has a line in there, what have I become? My empire of dirt. And it's like, that's the feeling. If you get to the point where it's like, everything I've built is nothing, is meaningless. It's just garbage. Maybe you've been to that point. I hope that you haven't been. Maybe you're at the point right now where it's like, what was all this even about? So Jesus says, start to think differently. Okay, he goes, I've got your attention. <laughs> you're awake. And I have you deciding that what you want to do is find a stability. That you want to do is balance out your life. That I want you to remember what it was that was really important. I want you to live your life in such a way that you are still valuing those core principles that led your life to ever be meaningful to you in the first place or your relationship to ever be meaningful to you in the first place. Now think differently. We'll finish up this message on the dead church next time on The Balanced Word with Dave Roth. We'll see you then. This program is brought to you by Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Wake up my soul. Wake up.